Star Binge, World Wide Public Radio. This is RBBR, episode 107, Since of the Slide Pan, Man Postmortem. Uh, with me, as always, is Mr. Tom Church, who is hey. giving us some chips. And, uh, but we have also the other players of the Since of the Slide Pan, Man campaign, Aaron, Aaron and Caleb. Hello. Uh, this episode, it's been we we finished up the campaign a little while ago, a couple months ago, uh, but because of the uh, Bowling Point Kickstarter and uh, other things, we've not been able to all get together to talk about it. So, better late than never. And and like the campaign itself, everything's kind of spaced out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, nodding his head vigorously. Yes. Um, so, uh, first up, we do have a bit of news. The playtest draft is out for the Boiling Point Kickstarter. So, if you backed it uh, at any level, other if you got any reward, you would get a, a link to the uh, playtest draft. So, you can uh, check that out. Please send in your feedback if you playtest it. If you notice typos in it, I, there are typos. I know there are typos in it because uh, I didn't edit the entire thing before I sent it out. Ross didn't playtest this at all. I we did play. No, we did. We but literally. Ross did, well, no, yes, we did. The I'll, game will make you so happy you'll want to put your shark. Yes. Um, then, Ross, did, Ross didn't Why proofread Ross? it at all, which I is didn't like proofread it exactly. Yes. I was trying to make a joke on the game, Ross. I know. Didn't. Uh, obviously, for obviously those of you that are doing the playtesting, yeah. uh, give Peter a taste of the writer's life and, and <laughs> give him those oh so wonderful playtesting guys. Like, why does the game have to be about superheroes? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm on a railroad. Yeah. Why are there shark people? Do they <laughs> really need to be shark people? Uh, Do yeah. we really need to deal with the corpse of the we need, we need, like like a gang in the streets? We need to jump him in. Yeah. So yeah, well, I'll see, you guys send it in. I'll, I'll just put <laughs> your names off of it. Yeah, we have some notes on page two. She's eating peanuts, but later she's wearing a hat. Does that make sense? We just beat I like dwarves. Can there be elves and dwarves in this? <laughs> Why are we trying to beat him into submission with lead pipes made of pure criticism? He'll be stronger. <laughs> If you cannot weather the grognards, they will control you. Uh, and, but of course, as the editor, he, does, he Peter does have one easy out. The art's already been done, so that's <laughs> it's shark people now. Yeah, it's shark Dude. people with it. Uh, maybe I can get him to draw some pointy ears on the shark people, so they're shark elves. Uh, Ross, I will kill you. <laughs> well, there are goblin sharks, so it makes sense that there would be exactly that. There's just one. No, it doesn't make sense, Dave. Off that the makes rails. No sense. Goblin sharks are be our way. <laughs> so um, that's it for, and also the next supplement, Vintage Villainy for Base Raiders, will be out soon. I will send that out early to backers, uh, and then uh, I will post it on for Drive Through RPG for those of you who do not back it. Uh, that will have all the retro themed villainy uh, gadgets that your Base Raiders can find, and you know. Blow things up with huzzah! Uh, ray guns and room-sized machines that break the laws of physics. And belly flopping kung fu. Yes, uh, the art of haphazard <laughs> fighting. Which, uh, I did include uh, because if you watch the the fight choreography of Batman versus the Wizard, you'll see what we mean. Is <laughs> he is the worst. I wish the, I wish the website could flash air quotes when we say certain <laughs> words. Yeah. Yeah, that's Fight choreography. <laughs> that Batman couldn't. The worst fighter was Batman. Some be HTML. Script. Everyone was equally <laughs> terrible. No one could win. That was the whole point of it. And that's now a superpower in Brace Raiders. Uh, <laughs> terrible fighting. So, uh, anyway, since the Slide of Hand Man, uh, this was a campaign uh, for Call of Cthulhu published by Arc Dream. Uh, it was launched via Kickstarter, and the idea is Dennis Stetler, one of the co authors of Delta Grade, wanted to uh, take a 
there's never been a really good Dreamlands campaign for Call of Cthulhu. There's been a supplement for it, there have been adventures written for it, but everyone kind of thinks of it just in terms of uh, Dream Quest of Unknown Cadeth and a few other of Lovecraft's lesser stories. And lesser, obviously, up to uh, debate, but. Less known. Yeah, less. Well, yeah, uh, not as well received as, say, Mountains of Madness or anything. Uh, and he decided to take another look at it and give it justice. And. Uh, so I backed on Kickstarter because I wanted to run it and because I wanted to give it another ch- shot. And so over the course of seven games, we uh, went through it, uh, a version of it. Um, because um, one of the things is after I read through it initially is, you know, at first when I was running campaigns uh, back years ago, it was like when I first ran Massive Battle with stuff, I was very much like trying to be a, a strict, stay within the confines of what the book did. Uh, so with Master and I looked at the first time I read it, I was just like, no, I have to do it exactly the way the book is. Kill is laughing now. I, now you... Now your uh, aesthetic seems to be, do what all the books say. <laughs> Simultaneous. Yes, yes. Uh, to mix and mash. Yes. Uh, make a Frankenstein monster of a campaign. Uh, Saints and Slides is actually kind of a middle ground in that, because I didn't really use any other books in it, uh, but I sort of... You Certain ideas, ideas that we'll get to later. Well, I, 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 I took ideas that were. That's unique an area where we had the mecca was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys remember that one? Yeah, that was that unpublished. Uh, no, know. it's in there. Go yeah. re-listen to the whole campaign. Uh, <laughs> if you don't remember, maybe you're just in a dream. Uh, so. When I started, I was actually still in the kind of the mindset of like I want to stick to the book, uh, is stick with what Det Willer wrote. Well, and, what changed your mind? Because obviously that happened. Um, well, I mean that was that was kind of thing. Uh, as I was reading through it, and uh, I wanted to. I mean, Det Dennis himself says, you know, make this campaign your own, and uh, so I thought it would it, it would make for a better experience if I sort of took the elements that I really wanted to put in there and sort of ignored the stuff I didn't want to use because you can't use everything in it. The campaign is not meant to be like you have to go through every single thing in the book. There are parts you can skip. There's no fee- uh, there's no achievements for 100%. In a lot of ways, this is kind of like a campaign framework because it gives you the locations, but it doesn't say they should go from A to B to C to D. They say here's the start and here's the ending. And then the exact and then there's some ideas on what paths you take, but that's about it. So uh, when we started the campaign, everybody made your characters following the guidelines in the book. And uh, one of the other things that did change was also uh, under the hood, so to speak, the sort of the rules Dennis had for uh, manipulating the dreamlands, um, which uh, he called directed dreaming, um, which I kind of reworked to be a little more obvious to the players because the way he works it is very much like a black box kind of thing. I'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, so in the first session, um, you guys were all, you know, your opium addicts, your characters, uh, and in David's case, and David's actually was the first case I brought me realized, hey, I should just make this my own by letting them use this character from Bryson Springs, which is chronologically speaking impossible. <laughs> uh, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> Wizard did it. Yeah. I told oh, yeah. you it was one I wasn't, of I wasn't here on the first session. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and that was one of the other things we did have scheduling problems. Uh, so, and that, of course, normally with the campaign that would be a problem, but with the Dreamlands that actually helped in some with ways. With Tal's character. Yeah. You have to Tal's say that. And Drew. Everyone forgets Tal's Drew was in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do forget. I died a lot. Uh, so, I, anyways. I really loved it because it was so fluid. Yeah. I mean, there were so many different times when we went, well, hey, 
Uh, remember that thing that we did? And, well, no, we don't really remember it all that well. <laughs> remember that guy we pulled out of the burning building? No, you didn't pull a guy out of a burning building. He Who didn't. are you? <laughs> I feel as if your personality has been lost in a bag. Um, <laughs> from one some player. I mean, yeah, actually, I mean, this was really the main characters of this campaign. I really feel were like uh, Caleb, David's, and Aaron's character up until Darling is died. Darling, no, not yeah. Darling. Too. Yeah, Darling, I mean, Darling was a major character. A porn yeah. forty out on Ross's floor right now. <laughs> Which, so yeah, because the funny thing about him was, I honestly, I really didn't really think of him <laughs> as one of the main characters, even though he kind of had a, a kind of a lion's share of backstory. Yeah, um, only because. When I created him, uh, he was actually two aspects that I, I culled from uh, Blackadder. One, the name. There's a there's a guy in there named Captain Darling, mm-hmm. who's I love that. So that's kind of Arlington. And Tom may have to help me on this name. There was another character in there who was a RAF pilot. Oh, uh, Captain the Lord Flashheart. Yeah, Flashheart. And I love the actor described him as just a walking penis that he is just machismo all over and is rushing into things. So I thought, you know what? Even though this guy's lost his arm, he's a hopeless opium addict, he's just loving life as he can. And especially when he gets into the dreamlands and inhabits a two-harmed, muscular black guy yeah. at this point, he's just heading on straight on forward. This is this is great. So, uh, so yeah, what were your, uh, for your first character, Caleb, I mean, well, your only character, uh, really, what were the you doing? Yeah, so we have a, a, what David was thinking, you know, I want to... Carry on that story, even though it doesn't make any sense. But like, it's a mythos. Oh, makes sense now. It makes sense now. Yes, <laughs> it does. Um, and by the way, I still Aaron's... say we need two more Mitchum Cleary. No, we do. We do need to close. Yeah, we do need to close the loop. And that's, it ends that's with Bruce Willis shooting uh, himself. Uh, as we're all in a simul space in Bartleby's. Uh, no, yeah. no, no. You have to be stopped. <laughs> it's like late Stephen King. <laughs> You're dark towering us. Places nobody wants. No, that. we're all in the mind. Okay, which is really inside the mind of a kid in, uh, in the hospital. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but Caleb, what were you thinking for Fucking Omri? Snow Globe. Uh, I was thinking kind of like a cross between Franz Kafka and uh, Wallace Stevens. Yeah. You know. yeah. Wallace Stevens actually, some of his poetry is used epigraphs in Citizen Science. That's the one thing I saw <laughs> flipping through, and I'm like, all right, so I need a poet guy that yeah. hates his regular job. And then, uh, but I, I, instead of poet, I did weird fiction, but I didn't want to be like actual Lovecraft. Yeah. So I did like, uh, you know, immigrant Russian Jew. Yeah. Uh, and you're the only one that's real. Yeah, that takes a bunch of opium. Yeah, and I played him like an opium addict. So. <laughs> no, and I thought that was great. Is that, that it was a constant denial that any of us were real, and we were just myriad aspects of yeah, the personality. The, the other thing is that I, I bought the book, but I was strictly forbidden from reading it because yeah. Ross had me buy the book, and then he bought the book. Is that what Ross? I backed a Kickstarter. I yeah, bought I, it before I, you. I was strictly <laughs> forbidden from reading it, and then uh, I have not read. I've not read uh, uh, Unknown Kadath. So. Yeah. Which I, was, I read shortly before I started the game. Yeah, and I was so I was very uh, fish out of water in the setting. Yeah, but I was thinking about the time period and you know, uh, crappy pseudoscience, Jungian psychology and stuff. And so I I just stuck with that. Well, it's, it's a dream, and I figured I would stop the first time I took an insanity. Yeah, 
because you know that's the thing about Cthulhu like insanity is just being closer to reality and I thought in the dreamlands you could actually do that because, yeah but you made all your sandwiches but I made all of those <laughs> that's where your luck went it went all in the sense of man that's why yeah, you have a terrible and so I just kept doing it <laughs> <laughs> and it worked so well as a character. There were many sessions. I was mainly a visitor in the game myself. This is true. Uh, who was your first character? The boxer dude. The bo- uh, was he? I thought he was the one who, your second I know one was just lost in your back. Yeah. And then yeah. one died. Yeah. Yeah, one, one, fe- yeah. one fell in the limbo. Yeah. Did you get eaten by a gug too? No. That I was Dan. Dan, Dan, Dan got, got eaten. Dan. 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 I forgot Dan was in it too. Yeah, very <laughs> Christ, this campaign. He was attacking the gug with the I finally remember? found that first character. He's <laughs> like, much too late. Yeah, one just faded like yeah. Marty McFly. <laughs> along with Drew's character. <laughs> along with Drew's character. I like Drew's character's concept, which was like an old, uh, you know, uh, uh, smuggler. Who was like his character was like seventy five years old and he oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, and was like a drug addict and a, a smuggler for the uh, a bootlegger uh, bringing stuff in from Canada and he just was in debt and he I like that like, he reminded me of like Alan Arkin and Little Miss Sunshine just yeah. too old to give a shit that you're exactly yeah. <laughs> which <Which's laughs> the worst is gonna happen <laughs> I wish he'd been able to finish uh, and I gotta say when I was um, grabbing Mitch and I kept thinking that. He's not addicted to the heroin as much as he's addicted to painkillers. Yep. And heroin's a great painkiller. <laughs> it really is. I mean, morphine is wonderful. It is sensational even to this day. Yeah, opi- but yeah. opiates. Here he is. Um, now that his face is no longer burned, it's well. I ain't feeling no more pain. I don't think I need no more of them pills. Yeah. You were all the worst addicts. <laughs> 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 the worst. Well, they, they, like the thing is, uh, once, uh, um, oh yeah, so once we got into the dreamland, suddenly eh, we're not probably not getting access to opium anymore. Time to go forward. Well, actually, the thing is, uh, one of the thing, uh, the first section of the book talk, uh, talks about how to run the campaign. You know, new rules like character ideas, and uh, he also talks about like running during the campaign. He specifically brings up addiction, and he basically says characters are new bodies; they won't feel the addiction unless they stay still. If they decide, no, this is a nice place, we'll just stay here and settle, then the addiction cravings will kick in. Uh, so it's basically kept in reserve. Like, his advice is keep Do it in sex. reserve. Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> as a, as, a, as a, a plot device to keep the characters moving. So instead of them just like, I settle in Inukwok, you know, the first city I come to, and like, go be a miner or whatever. Just that kind of subtle link between yeah, like, no, You have to keep our... moving. This isn't your own land. This isn't your home. You need to keep moving. You you need to go home. So that's See, that. I, yeah, I hadn't read that part. See, that's odd to me because that was my, like, entire character motivation other than the dream thing. Yeah. Is that like... I'm going across the dreamlands to get a fucking fix. Yeah. Like, there's a bunch of peasants here. Where you are Cuts and burlap sacks. Nobody's got any smack. Like, <laughs> fuck this place. Head on down the road. Like, yeah. Uh, actually, I remember the, the, last, corn alcohol. the last character I did was the French cavalry officer. Oh, yeah. Uh, was that the one who actually made it to the real world? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he joined up right after the underworld. Uh, I, I, and yes, I totally admit, I made that character like, all right, Doug. He's like, you need a character that has a reason to fucking have the sword skill? I'll show you how. Uh, which, I mean, fine. That's fine. Uh, so, but there's a lot of other things that Dennis does in uh, talking about uh, what you should do to run. And so what he talks about this directed dreaming, which is one of the first, probably the first thing I changed, which was um, the idea was you 
as a GM, whenever you describe something, you'll describe something with a certain detail. And this detail, you know, like, oh, this guy is wearing a red tunic. Uh, but then later on, uh, you will say, uh, so the, the merchant in the blue tunic uh, tells you, it gives you your coins or whatever, you know. And well, wait so a you, minute, your clothes are red. Right. And so every time a player points out some contradiction, some little subtle thing, you write down and, you know, he gets a notch. And that notch can then be used whenever the player, uh, whenever the GM sort of subconsciously tries to figure out what the player would want. So if the player's like, oh shit, we're being attacked, I need a weapon. Oh, well, he has a notch left. Okay, well, hey, there's a short sword by your hand. You can grab that and stab somebody. How'd that sword get there? I don't know, do you want to use it? Okay, sure. And so it's supposed to, like, which is a clever idea. My problem was just logistical. Like, there are, you know, three to five of you at any given time. And keeping track of those and also putting in enough opportunities opportunities for you to gain notches was just a... I'm just like, no, I'm lazy. Fuck that. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be more obvious also about it. Also, with a month and a half between exactly. sessions, you have to like go back and be like... Yeah. Red tunic, what? David? Yeah. yeah. Question mark? Little yeah, had we been on a more weekly like, schedule with this one, it probably would have been different, but... But yeah, with that, having to deal with weeks-long logistical issues and on top of maybe a, a two or three separate pages just to keep notches. And the thing is, the thing is, the GM is not supposed to tell the players about this system at all. Yeah. It is all black box. It is all behind the GM screen. I was not supposed to tell you any of that shit. Uh, and that was just, I mean, yeah, I just admit I was too lazy to do it. Uh, it was too much work to do. <laughs> um, but because oh, I wanted to focus more on the really took away from the game because... Yeah. I mean, it really was that nice, fluid, weird setting. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I kind of want to talk about it. What are your impressions of the dream, especially like from the beginning to well, or now? Like, what do you think of that as a setting? Is that something you want to God, visit it, in horror adventures? Uh, would you change it if you were running it or playing in it? Um, I, I wish I'd read the source material, which I think is true of yeah. everything else. Uh, which is why I was clinging to the dream thing so hard because I didn't want to be just totally yeah. shiftless. And, and while it was basically comedic, I mean, I did save up for that one failed sanity roll when we yeah. got back to Earth, and I tried to go as fishhead crazy as I possibly could. No, it worked. It worked. Uh, but yeah, I wish I'd, I'd read the setting a little bit more just so I can not meta game, but make like better narrative choices. I suppose. Okay. And see, uh, since I have a bit of a problem with doing that. Um, I try very, very hard not to listen to, or I mean, not to read, not to listen to anything Lovecraft, because I know it's going to come up at some point. And I know that if I understand, oh, these are the cats of Ulthar, you ne must never kill a cat, because then they'll all eat you alive. I figure, okay, it's better if I don't know that going into it, which I will say I did listen to Cats of Ulthar on Spotify afterwards <laughs> because I thought, okay, what the hell is going on with these? Is he just playing with the cats? Everybody at the table seems to know. And I, Lord, I am going to get blasted because I don't know that one. Must listen. And, no. and at the time, I just thought my cat had showed up in the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one. Yes. Uh, and Ross's oh. mashup had gotten out of control <laughs> and overspilled the bounds of RPG Splinded fiction. the cat, yeah. No, that, that's the thing. But yeah, that is, that is, I guess that would be one of the more egregious like things cat, to be... Your cat with the black uh, eyes in the middle of the night when he's jumps on the bed, he's up on the bed staring at you. Yeah. And you wake up like he's been staring at you for hours. Yeah, he does that. 
Um, but yeah, that, that's the thing. Um, were there any other things that kind of caught you off guard? Um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, for me as a GM, I didn't even think about that because I just, being a huge Lovecraft nerd, lo- like Lovecraft was a big, he was a cat person, weird. Uh, that was totally unpredictable. But, <laughs> but I mean, I did know it was Lovecraft, so I wasn't yeah. like shiftless and like, it's not like I didn't like the campaign. Yeah, yeah. I just wish I'd read Dreamland. But I didn't realize that someone else would not know that in love in the Lovecraftian universe, cats are totes magical. Like they, that. that no, I, I just knew my cat was there. Yeah. And yeah. I thought it was because you guys played Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so, but there are things in the uh, Dreamlands for Call yeah, of Cthulhu. Yeah. No, actually, still, I still want to run a site, another game of Call of Cthulhu based on the Adventures of Splenda. <laughs> Splendid in uh, the Dreamlands. Yeah. No, actually, I love the fact that we I still got the the horrific monsters, awesome. but it seemed. Odd for lack of a better term, more naturally placed, that this is the place that they were supposed to be, that this is where they belonged, or even those really horrifying things that we came, that, that we uh, encountered, like when we first got there, hey, here's the pile of loner bodies. <laughs> that <laughs> Wait, was, that, that's straight out of the book. That's, yeah, that's, and I love that idea, but eventually, it just instead of just sitting here going, oh god, we have a, a hill of bodies, saying... Damn, that's weird for this place. Moving on. <laughs> so, with everybody else around me saying, "Oh yeah, we get travelers well, here all quest, the time." Well, the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath is a—it's a fantasy. It's not horror. Right. Yeah, and, and it flowed more. It flowed. Dunstan flowed. Enunciation yeah. flowed uh, a little bit better than and the normal Cthulhu game. Just when you kind of hit that whatever is chasing you, or you're trying to investigate, and you have to stop for like. Crap, that's really horrifying. Roll sanity. Do I lose it? Yeah. This and, one... Yeah. It, it, the, the, the sanity loss was a little more gradual this time around to where it felt like the risk of us basically becoming part of this place was was greater than us just going completely insane. Well, another reason I, I wish I had time to read it was that, uh, I mean, the scheduling stuff yeah. came up. And this has nothing to do with the book or that while I was writing, but it's like... Oftentimes when we would play, since it's a lot of hand man, it'd be the first time we'd met in like two or three weeks. Yeah. So things went toward the Yakety Sacks Cthulhu yeah. direction more often than not. This is true, yeah. Sea pirate adventure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at all. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I had fun, certainly, yeah. but I don't know if it was very good to listen to. Um, well, the Sea Pirate Adventure is sort of an interesting uh, point to talk about because um, the first two sessions... Uh, the one where you show up and then you get to the city of Inukwok and the second session where you go to the Oracle. Those are pretty much straight out of the book. Mm-hmm. Those are, I ran them very close. Um, I used in one or two random encounters, uh, but they're from the book, like the roach, the, the shrine mm-hmm. uh, that had the statue. statue in Which it. is probably the creepiest part of the campaign. Huh? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. That, I, when, as soon as I read it, I was like, that shit's going in there. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, the only, well, actually, there was one unscripted thing as the companion showing up. Uh, that was God <laughs> damn. An issue of its own. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. Because I wanted to, I did want to add something. I, even back then, I wanted to add something a little different. I wanted to make it a little different song. But those were pretty much run straight ass. But then for the third session, it's like I want to do stuff in the sea. And they just have encounters. And then they had to talk about the pirate stronghold. But I didn't want to. There's no like, here's the beginning of the sea adventure and here's the end of the sea adventure. Here's the, it's like a, a list of things. And you as the GM kind of have to make it up yourself. Uh, so I had the encounter, the ghost ship encounter was entirely neat. Like I didn't, uh, and then having the, the foreshadowing of Nodens um, uh, show up was uh, also just me. And then uh, your guys' actions in the pirate 
fortress were your own, and I couldn't have planned for that. That <laughs> you could not. <laughs> I was not there for that. Um, no, but, but I heard all. I heard. But that was at the point I realized that campaign. I should really focus on just taking these uh, ingredients, uh, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, and making my own adventures out of it. Yeah. So, uh, like, and so I read through. At that point, that was when I was just. I was like, what do I want to hit in this book? And so, like, I wanted to hit the uh, the port city. I wanted to hit the underworld. I wanted to hit Ulthar, uh, and obviously the Enchanted Woods. But there were like Sarnoth and some of the other elements. I was like, eh, they're okay, but yeah. Um, I don't know. So, did you guys notice that, or was that just kind of? Did you assume I was running? I noticed you were using the book a lot less the the longer we went into the campaign. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I didn't dislike it in yeah. way, but I did notice that. Well, and as did I. But I chalked it up to Ross's. Ross has actually memorized this book. He's read it so many times that he knows. Ross is a genius. Word. Never give him that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> Ross is a fairly functional autistic person that learns everything. Wow. I'll right. tell you, the reason why I have survived as long as I have in tabletop campaigns with both Ross and you, Caleb, <laughs> is because I assume that if I walk into the room, you know everything that's going to happen, and you have planned my moves six moves in advance like some freaking chess master. <laughs> I don't... It's Ross... Karpov. Yeah. <laughs> Caleb Kasparov. <laughs> wow. Deep Blue is in there somewhere just cackling madly in the background, just ha ha ha. Wesley. And uh, uh, buttering up the GM, a useful player skill. Yes. No wonder he <laughs> hey. survived so often. <laughs> I'm just telling it like it is. He's I mean, the real mastermind. <laughs> like, oh, that and let's be honest. Ross, you're a beautiful man. Do you know that? Uh, not the same. That's that. <laughs> Anyway, um, so uh, we can't really talk about it because it hasn't been posted yet. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, the companions inspired an adventure to me. Yes. This is so true. the the design of the companions from a metagame perspective was meant to exploit the fact that the GM is your eyes, no matter yeah. what your perception scale is, and also the fact that everybody's brain has a huge amount of processing power going towards ignoring things like. Uh, pattern recognition. Yeah, yeah, pattern recognition, lumping things into schema, and passing over things so you can still function. And so that when the GM says, that person you've been hanging out with all along is an immortal, insane monster clone, uh, you can pass it off as like, why would you be looking at everyone <laughs> who has vague similarities to each other that closely when they're just people in your life? Right. Um, Oh, and a very real phenomenon. So when you dropped them on us, I got to experience that from the play side, (laughs) which I hadn't before, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. But the one thing I was like, I wish you'd drawn it out a little bit longer. Like, <laughs> I, I kind of wish I had more than two encounters with them. Yeah, I, like I kind of wish they'd become the Because I did, yeah, because I did. No, I mean, not even that. Like, no. And uh, but it's like I, I eventually learned who they were because I had the metagame knowledge. Yeah. But like, I'm like, well, what if? What if they like knew them as characters and suddenly you're like, oh no, it's them? Because like, why would these people know what they look like? And then you're again playing on player experience. Yeah. Like that's a good idea. Uh, so yeah, I, I really like that. I mean, and that kind of taught me something about game design in general. It's like why it's important to probably play your own game yeah. on the other side of things. Oh, so, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, with the companions, um, I wanted to throw them in there because they fit with the dreamlands. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if there's magic, they know it. Exactly. Yeah. And so they can go in there. Um, and I kind of, and I was originally going to have them be basically Team Rocket for you guys, where they show. <laughs> uh, and I know that's exactly the kind of antagonist you were yes. model. Definitely so. what I was going for. <laughs> so um, 
But again, with the scheduling issues, I thought this campaign would take. I thought this was going to be like a twelve or fifteen session campaign when I started. But then, like scheduling is like, holy shit, we need to get this done just to have it done. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is unfortunate, but because I think there, there is a lot of material, I did skip a lot of stuff. Um, there were, were part like now that you finished the campaign, are there elements of the Dreamlands you kind of wish we had gone spent more time at, or like, uh, or if you've read Kadath or anything else like? I- I admit, you know, everyone, you, well, everyone, especially, but you know, I have a, I have a major fandom for the ghouls. Yeah. And I kind of wish, you know, there was more involved stuff with them. Yeah. But you know, it's, if you know, it's nice to want things. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, what, what about your experience playing? Since you were uh, kind of a, get, a reoccurring guest player, I mean, basically. Uh, Let's see. Except for the French cavalry officer, it's finally kind of got to a, being there more than three or four sessions himself. Right. But all the others, I, I kept going to the feeling of, I had to come up, oh, I say, where am I? What's going on here? <laughs> and eventually, I mean, but the two cars eventually got down, it doesn't matter, you're not going to live. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they didn't say it, but that's kind of the vibe I was going to... To be fair, at least one of those deaths was because you lost your sheets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. That's exactly what it was. It was like, huh. Well, that's gone. Yeah. You were a recording motif of my mortality. <laughs> <laughs> that was insinuating itself on my subconscious. Um, so, yeah, uh, in terms of, like, what would you... Uh, the thing is, like, uh, uh, I, I do want to revisit the Dreamlines in horror games in the future. Uh, I would like to see it in, uh, like, in the modern era, because one of the things is it's supposed to be anachronistic, but obviously it kind of updates itself. It, like, according to the Call of Cthulhu Dreamlands book, it's supposed to be, like, 500 years behind the time, so it's, like, in the 1920s, it's supposed to be, like, you know, the early Renaissance or something like that. So, but... Well, who cares about that? Why don't make it, you know, yeah. what's creepy and anachronistic to us now? Oh, hey, the earlier 20th century, that shit was totally creepy. Um, so, I don't know. What would you want to see from the Dreamlands again if you were going in another adventure? I could totally uh, see, like, I could see, like, you know, from modern day, like, a Dreamlands of the Victorian era or something. Yeah, Victorian time. That would, because that really, I think that really lends itself to somewhat familiar yet, yet at the same time. Yeah, it's kind of that uncanny valley. Oh, see, to me, I don't... frankly, I would like to see the just the city of night that's always just shrouded in night. There's always that thick fog and mist. You can't see more than five yeah. feet in front of you, because yeah. that seems like that's the really nice example of the unknown. I mean, there's a reason why Jack the Ripper scare stories yeah. are so scary is because we yeah. have no idea who he was. We can't figure that out, and he approached people in the middle of the night, and the only thing that they really saw was hi knife. Right. So, uh, actually, I, uh, kind of a counter for just Victorian turn of the century, where you have whatever weirdness is going on in the, in the uh, dreamlands being powered by emerging ideas of new technology, too. Because think of how horrifying the railway systems would probably look if you had a giant snake or something going across uh, going across it. So that would probably be my idea of how the to giant it. snake that's slithering along um, the backs of immigrants. I like that. Uh, damn. Uh, yeah, damn. That'll get, that'll get real. <laughs> Shit. Um, I'd like. I'm kind of interested to see what they do in the Dreamhounds of Paris. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, I've seen some of the art from that on yeah. the Belgrain site, and like a piano with teeth and like weird surrealist shit, and I'm just like, yeah, that's that that's creepier to me than the anachronistic stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I suppose I'm kind of with you. It's like. A more modern aesthetic and surrealism, yeah. but I, I do like that you are actually Salvador Dali wasted on absinthe. Think you like 
wandered Ulthor. Yeah, yeah, for those unfamiliar, uh, it's a Robin Laws <laughs> campaign like, uh, that's coming out for Trail of Cthulhu, where you play one of 19 historic personalities in Paris in 1920. Actual surrealists. It, actual oh, surrealists. Yeah. Or modernists. I think yeah, or, yeah, I think some modernists. Are right. Hemingway's one of them, I believe. Hemingway's in there? I think so. <laughs> Dibs. Fuck you. Dibs. Uh, I think this is going to be like Midnight in Paris with yeah. horrible nightmares. But you're, you're investigating the Cthulhu mythos, but you have to play one of those 19 people. You can't make your own character. So you'd be Dolly or Marguerite, Marguerite or Hemingway. I think. Hemingway. Yeah. Hemingway. Um, so yeah. <laughs> but punches for the min-maxer of your group. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, we went to a strange lab. He would I fit. walked up I, a hill. Yeah. I had butted I saw someone. the lab. <laughs> I had butted a monster. It was good. We drank. The Swedish boxer died. <laughs> That's not a monster. <laughs> actually for the dream if it's like an amalgam of the actual real world I think that you know the early 20th century like a time I imagine like leading up to something like the first world war in the dreamlands can you imagine, yeah. can you imagine like the build up to a huge global war yeah. in the dreamlands this is, yeah. I, I think we should play Dreamhouse Paris and we should Skype Thad in <laughs> but he can only hear us and he can only tweet what his character says nothing longer than 140 characters play is that Hemingway? Thad yeah. gets to play Hemingway and he just tweets what his character does <laughs> Wow. Come on, man! I sit. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be kind of awesome. Uh, wow. Uh, I, I got hashtag face punch. I apologize. No, it's fine. It's fine. I like it. I like it. What, but what kind of what? I mean, I, I think about the whole campaign. What stands out to you the most about it? Like, what is the most memorable? Uh, like, or I mean, we can talk about the other campaign. So after the pirate adventure, you had the city, and then the port city, um, Losk, I believe. And then from Lost, there was the Underworld. And then from the Underworld, there was Ulthar. And the, then from Ulthar, the Enchanted Woods. And then it's the Escape. So out of those legs of the journey, um, what session... I mean, what was the most fun for you? Uh, I think that... I mean, for me, obviously, it was the Underworld session. Because that was... Uh, yeah. That was pretty entertaining on my end. Uh, uh, the most jarring for me was when we came back and I finally finished the Sanity Roll. Yeah. Because I felt like I was playing a completely different character then. Uh, but it was good in a good way. It was alienating in a good like. Yeah, and I actually did mess up something up when you when you transfer into new bodies. You're supposed to keep your gender. I was just like, oh, yeah, I can handle that. Yeah. Uh, and then, so that's the the best thing from the campaign. And but like the most memorable for probably not the best reasons is, <laughs> is Pirate Cove, hands down. Because oh, yeah. holy shit, <laughs> every part of it from front to back <laughs> was just absurd. <laughs> Well, I kept thinking, uh, if you've seen the Price is Right game with the Yodler going up the mountain and up the mountains, <laughs> everything just kept getting bad. I thought we would go bad, worse, dead. But it's no. You just keep raising that bar of worse. Uh, that, and that is the only time I got anything that made my character remotely combat effective. Yeah. The uh, blessing of Nodens where I could just fucking zap my remote guys for a magic point. Like, uh, that was pretty nice. Yeah. Well, and and the, monk, like, the monk slap. It's oh, just the whole monk thing. I, I still can't believe Dester Whitler at, when I, at Gen Con at, when I went to talk to him after the Delta Green thing. Hey, I love monk slap. Holy shit. Like, he, think of it from his point of view. He spends like a year of his life writing. Let's see, this book is like... This book is like three hundred, nearly 300 pages long. And... It kind of, he just does all this work. He does all this artwork to create this this campaign to to sort of like 
here's the dreamlands. It's not just we should we, we shouldn't ignore it. It's this great part of Lovecraft's work. We should we should celebrate along with everything else Lovecraft did. But and then it, it boils down to the dude slapping a monk. <laughs> and like I don't want to be that. And also the the best part of playtesting <laughs> is like. <laughs> Seeing how the stuff that you could not ever in a million years anticipate, yeah. but it still doesn't break the game. Like right. people still have fun and enjoy it, and like that's the that is the best part of playtesting. Yeah, uh, like the the con convention I did of uh, the Better Angel scenario where they the guy alchemied all the gold into sponges and they ran <laughs> off with the ran off with the Federal Reserve and the stuff they couldn't carry they just threw into the river. So that the price of gold would go up. <laughs> like, none of those things are written in there. Like uh, so neither is monk slapping. Yeah, but it should. It should. Or a hot rod esque tumble down a flaming pirate city. <laughs> that, You're welcome. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> Uh, any other any other thoughts about it? Well, and I did want to mention the whole reason for the quest for Lucille. From the oh yeah, the Lucille. Yeah, we had to talk Shadow about Lucille. Lucille. There is a reason for it. Yeah. Um, when I uh, made the sheet for uh, Mitchum Cleary this time around, mm-hmm. the only real combat ability he had was guns. And when you get to the Dreamlands, and it's oh, we've <laughs> got swords. No guns, yeah. There are no guns. Uh, the loss of Lucille for him was also the loss of control. Yeah. Um, he was used to being able to just walk into a room, pacify the room, just basically take Lucille, and as long as she's in hand, he is in control. And without Lucille, and without guns in general, he was basically adrift. He just goes from place to place to place because he has no ability to really change his situation. And that's also why I followed along. It's, yeah, sure, you got ideas. I got nothing. I have no idea what I'm doing here. But with, that's actually a, another good point, which the book talks about. Uh, like characters are not going to be very effective in the dream ones because if you make a 1920s character, he won't be very useful in a Renaissance environment <laughs> without library use and Tommy guns. Like there are there yeah. are limitations, and so he talks about training up skills and other abilities <laughs> and just balancing that. Um, and for the lar- uh, and I think it worked. Um, I mean, I would like to, if I run this again, and I probably will years from now. I will use a different system for it. Uh, I'll probably use Trail of Cthulhu or some other gumshoe system because uh, they break weapon, they break those kind of abilities in a more uh, learnable. Well, it's it's Practical. like you know, like scuffling and athletics rather than having like five separate skills. Here's a point. Not yeah. How many times did you fail this role? Reroll yeah. to make the, I mean, I like that for campaign play, but like when you make a character who's like for this environment, and then the whole per- premise of the campaign is he's a fish out of water, and so he's going to be totally useless for the large part of the campaign. I love it. <laughs> it does make it, but it's fine to enjoy. But it's like it's hard for me to balance that when it's like go on this fantasy quest to go to the Oracle, you know, <laughs> yeah. with treacherous bandits as your allies. And but I also of. like the fact that, especially when you when Lucille was presented to him, there were obvious disadvantages to you. Yeah, so like I wanted well. to put you Lucille in there, uh, one to give you a reason to go into the underworld, um, and again uh, coming up with that, and also because the Dreamlands is supposed to be more fantastic. So what 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 is that without? a magic weapon without a quest um, and 
it's again so this is my interpretation of the notch system the whole sub-directed dreaming yeah um, so I've been kind of saving up for more appropriate uses uh, and for air like Darlington it was just him being able to uh, <laughs> survive survive like things yeah. that would kill normal people like <laughs> he, he physics just didn't work as hard as on him you know Hello, we fall. Hello, we exactly. Fall. Yeah, Hello, we fall. Oh, that <laughs> fire is only falling warm. Down. It's like, only li- it's room temperature fire. Exactly. Like, I'm gonna jump off the Shantak bird. And <laughs> hope I wake up before I fall into space forever. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty interesting choice, Tom. Um, what I, 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 I what admire, a lovely way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> interesting choice. I mean, I admire. No, I admire Tom for being a, like not metagaming. Like, no, that's I'm not gonna accept a deal from Nihilothotep. That's not gonna end well for my character. <laughs> Be like, no, fuck it. Let's see what happens. He seems trustworthy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you yeah. want to talk about that? Uh, it's really, I really kind of thought. Okay, this guy is. This guy's just a boxer who fell, who got pulled into this on, on right. this today. Right. So now he doesn't. Yeah. Of course, if he just wants to leave, that's all he wants to do. Yeah. And yeah, when okay, when someone offers him a way out, sure he's going to take it. Yeah. Now, granted, it is like a ten foot tall, dark pharaoh guy that offered it to him, but yeah, I've seen weirder things. Yeah. In this world, that's what probably one of my favorite narrative moments is that I finally score some drugs and yeah. then uh, <laughs> me and. Mitch get wasted with our new boxer friend, and then we wake up and he's just clothes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one, yeah. I think that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Ellen, I have to say, too, I really like playing yeah. Richard Cleary as yeah. uh, the group's uh, only sane man. Yeah. It's, no, you don't understand. I know a little bit about the way these things work. Don't read the books. That's where they keep the madness. And he comes off as sounding clearly insane, and everybody, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Open the book. Oh, dear God. Uh, Why is, is that, no deals is with that what insanity sounds like, Eric? No, it's just when you open up any book of Cthulhu, it should automatically make the... Uh, I, I wish you could replay it as Bishop Cleary again and just have tons of dramatic irony. New game plus. I know this. <laughs> I've always known this. I'm on Trust the, me, I, I well, do this all the time. So and I Caleb had a couple of those moments yeah. that didn't really play out all that well. I mean, one of the ones that um, still sticks out in my mind, um, there was the cave with the thing hunting us outside and somebody says, let's build a fire. You don't want to build a fire in here because if we stand in front of it, they'll know how many of us there is because of our shadows. <laughs> we stand behind it and you're sending out a beacon to everything. Don't light the damn fire. <laughs> I'm lighting the fire. No, you're not. <laughs> you're the boss of me. So yeah, the Mitch and Clearly timeline, we need to run two adventures right now. Caleb and I need a conference and like figure this out. <laughs> um, because at the time, 1925 is the census of the Bryson Spring is 19 33 or 36? I think it's... Uh, I think it's... 34. Oh, the two that I know have 35. to be done. <laughs> so 1935. So we have to have run one adventure between 1925 and... WPA 19... comes in at 34, so okay. it's 35. So it's 1935. So ni- between 1925 and 1935, he loses his memories <laughs> of since the side of hand man. <laughs> and he what about his face, though? That's the thing. Um, and then after 1935, he has to go back in time to before 1935. Yeah, so when does when does sense start? 1925. It starts in 25. Yeah, it's it all takes place. But in, well, when did we pop out? Of 1925. Sense? It all it's all like in a matter of two weeks in the real world. Oh, okay. Time works differently in the dreamlands. Yeah, uh, thank yeah, thanks Cthulhu physics. Uh, so at some point after Bryce, it is Bryce, he needs to go back in time. Yes, that's a and thing. at some point in between there, he needs yeah. to learn his memory. So we have to figure that out. Either you and I can conference, or we, uh, maybe David has some ideas of that. But like, 
Uh, well, because the way this convoluted is fun. Because Simpsons Light Hand Man specifically says it ends right before Massive Night Worship yeah. Death is supposed to start. <laughs> okay. So, like, you could have your character who survived since go straight into Massive Night Lopo Death. Uh, I, I, might, I might have a good idea. Loving, I'll let you know later. Okay. So, yeah, we can't talk about this on the microphone. Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a big <laughs> secret. Yeah, secret. Uh, I can probably tie it into Massive Night Lopo Death. You could probably <laughs> tie anything in. I'll bring Sean and everybody <laughs> work with Chicago in there. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Uh, All I can say is Willy I'm, Wonka. I am definitely looking forward to. <laughs> I already did Willy Wonka. I can't do it again. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> did you forget? That would be tasteless. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much other stuff to go out. Do first. I'd be like, that was an eclipse fade. Wouldn't be the slightest bit tasteless because, yeah. after all, he is the greatest chocolatier. Yeah. No, it wasn't an eclipse face. It was a dirty world in the eclipse face. In scene. the eclipse face, <laughs> unified as the story of Willy Wonka. <laughs> Table flip. <laughs> I'm just trying new things, Akil. I don't know why you're so. You're uh, all pissed out at one. We're editing fuck. out things, yeah, because of the madness <laughs> <laughs> to try and get a grasp on it. Yeah, um, I, I told mean, you what, not to read them books. For me, my lessons at the GM is like one: um, you know, you have to make any written campaign your own, and so you should t- approach that from the beginning. Like, what kind of slant? Think about like what do you want to do with this? Don't like treat this as like a, a, a text that has to be run as written. You, know? mm-hmm. you need to. I think every camp, every campaign is uh, should be customized for every in particular group because a G, someone writing a campaign has to make it sort of general purpose. But you you can file away. Certain edges add certain things in order to uh, speak more effectively to your players. I mean, make the game better for your players. Um, so that's, I think, I should have done that more from the beginning. I might have, like one thing I've learned from Masks is you should run prequel adventures so the players get used to the characters before you really get the gears running, like a one shot or something. Um, so we could have uh, now. I'd, now with the of course, the sense I would, so I'd have to change and modify the opening of sense because it's supposed to be a cold opening. You know, opium addicts who don't know each other in the dreamlands. Uh, it's supposed to maximize the disruption and the confusion of the players. Um, so I might. So I'm not sure how I'd approach it, but I would definitely uh, not have that kind of opening. Maybe maybe slow down a little bit or something. Um, I think in general it's, it's it's a good rule of thumb that like if you're running something pre-generated you should add fan service for your players because I know that when I've written things for you guys and then written it as a publication I've had to remove fan service that we are are making and how do you define are making a structure like like things you know your players are going to like yeah you need to make it a structure that like so, so ghouls for Tom yeah so yeah for, <laughs> so adding ghouls for Tom. Are things that so are like are for better angels like your individual subplots yeah or oh, individual yeah. subplots and there was like I had to adjudicate between like okay what NPC would be fun for everybody and what NPC is specific to your subplot and like what my son what or yeah honey bear yeah or what side plot would be fun for everybody and what yeah. side plot would not be fun for so like the the testing stuff is in there because I yeah. think everyone would have fun rigging the state tests but like the irradiating the brewery thing is is that's all us. <laughs> you could you could you could arrange for that to happen but that's not required of the game that like, should be it's not a milestone <laughs> it's not a milestone you you could choose to go after the brewery I'll have to some say food that is that irradiated is to make it safer <laughs> <laughs> not with direct exposure to uranium per se but like 
you know, it's and it's very it's very important for robots. Yeah, yeah. It, it is for robot in factories. Uh, so, uh, but you guys, any other what, like, what are you taking away from this campaign? Like, in terms of like being a player, uh, playing games with a long schedule, because uh, you know that that was one of the big things I think more unique is that we had a longer time between episodes than we've had with any other campaign. Well, in and I might be saying a little bit much, but uh, but honestly, it may have helped in the long run only just because given that we're supposed to be in the dreamlands and the fact that it may have been a little bit hard for us to remember certain details going yeah. back and forth uh, for each game and things were changing as different players were coming in for one shots in one time, it kind of added to the effect of being kind of ethereal and dreamlike that we have just people floating in and out of things. Yeah, this is not definitely the, something you do. To the land just yeah, shifting I mean, from one end to the other yeah. It's got to be said, the first time that it happened, I totally see all of us in game just kind of going, what the hell just happened? And by the last one, it was like, oh, so the boxers just closed. Ah, that's the third one this week. <laughs> see, uh, go through them pockets, look for some loose change. Were there any lingering any questions that you had about the campaign? But like, Not really. Did it happen? Like, or did uh, uh, no. I explain? No. And, okay. Honestly, I kept running into Lovecraftian monsters that I don't know what they are. Yeah. And I could ask the question, what is this? But I would much rather discover it on my own. Yeah. I would much rather there are some of these days finally get down to the, all right, Gug. Yeah. What the heck is a Gug? Where did they appear? Give me the book. Yeah, but that's not going to happen yet because I still want the wonder of holy shit, Gug. There are some things that I, th as far as I can tell, are unique are creations of that world. It's like the uh, guy with the boat in the underworld. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. oh, the amber. Yeah, boat. yeah, yeah. The, Which, by the way, that was well, that. totally that well. Yeah, no, that was that him. was freaking awesome. Uh, that was one of the creepier parts yeah. of the campaign. Yeah, and yeah. he helped you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there were uh, all the change at him. The actually the shopkeeper, the guy who gave you the drugs in Losk, uh, he has a whole thank patron about how he has a symbiotic monster attached to his spine or something like that. That if you lift up a shirt, there's this horrible tentacle thing that will, and he has to kill someone every two weeks in order to remain alive. But Quato has the hookup. Yeah, so. but Quato has the hookup, so <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, and and, he, and you guys didn't attack him, so you weren't horribly killed by the horrible tentacle monster. Yeah. Uh, um, so that was kind of an interesting bit that there are these elements in the campaign that kind of like that was like oh if this happens this happens you can do this happens but like it's not like pointed out it's not like the campaign does not require you to find a certain magic sword to give it back to the family and the, or you yeah. know, do that or it's all fairly loose so you could play recapture the pie of deliciousness I think one thing I mean I, I enjoyed the campaign, but like I, I, I couldn't help but think as we went along that if you were trying to play it like for a more serious debt wheeler in bleakness, yeah. like we would have totally fucked that up. <laughs> so it is important to like convey the tone and continually remind your your players what that tone yeah. is. Not to the point of be overbearing where you can't do something silly, but sometimes you need to be like, all right. Hey, yeah. guys, this is a horror campaign. Uh, yeah, bring it Stop down. with the freaking Monty yeah. Python. I think I would change the appearance. Which I think is, I think yeah. we, I think it's just something we do, but we don't necessarily think about in the long term. Like, no evil, I did that. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had Yakuza Specs. 
octopus talk show episodes, but then we also had like, holy shit, yeah, the moon's blowing up. So, <laughs> like, and it's it's just a matter of conveying that to your players. Yeah. What tones? Uh, there is that, and because we it was just so sporadic, I didn't really. It was just no. I had fun, and, and like, I don't think that's like a tone you were against. So, yeah. uh, but I, I just thought like other people running it, like it, it would be very yeah, important. I to think convey. that's right. You have to think about what kind of dreamlines you want. Do you yeah. want it to be the the, the dreamlines of Zoogs and talking cats, or do you want it to be the one of Gugs and uh, Nair Lothotep mm-hmm. trying to steal your soul? Yeah. Um, I mean, all what, he can try to steal it all he wants. <laughs> yeah. already mm-hmm. belongs. <laughs> and I actually felt this was pretty balanced between, wow, this is a wonders of a land we've never seen or could imagine, and to, oh God, what is eating me? <laughs> so. Yeah, I would. I think next time I run, I would make focus a lot more on the aesthetic of the Dream Men's and make it more alien. Uh, fo- instead of being like when Lovecraft was writing it, like sort of pastoral fantasy worlds in the, the tradition like Lord Dunsany and that kind of stuff was certain was more I, I wouldn't say cutting edge but more a pe- had more uh, of an impact to the reader but now after you know The Hobbit and Dungeons and Dragons and a billion other things like it just doesn't have the same impact to people so you kind of have to make it if you want to make a weird Dreamlands type feel to it you have to make it more uh, non I wouldn't say non-Euclidean, but you know, weird, bizarre. Yeah, more yeah. bizarre, more I mean, alien. Uh, it has to be said too. I mean, uh, during the time that Lovecraft was writing, yeah, the world was not exactly the place it was now. In fact, quite yeah. a bit different. It was a much worse place. I mean, bleaker place when it came to just living. Yeah, if you weren't a straight white guy, you, you were pretty much screwed. Yeah, if you weren't a straight guy, yeah. Whereas now we have the internet, we have escapism, we have movies where they put mind-blowing special effects in there, and people will walk out of it going, "That looked fake." Yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah. Really, it's a that harder movie about dragons attacking a planet. Looked fake to you. There's so many dragon helicopter movies out there. I don't. It's know. Cra- it's a crowded it's genre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christian Bale. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a it's a huge. Well, there's also that one with Dean Cain. You're right about that one. I did not forget. <laughs> uh, anyway. A tornado full of sharks. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, any final thoughts on uh, Since the Light Hand Man? I actually asked Dennis Detweiler. I know somebody will ask. Uh, if he could write something up for our page and he hasn't come back to me and maybe he will soon uh, but I specifically asked him what the title is supposed to mean and he said he would write that up but he has not gotten back to me yet um, so your listeners home I don't know what the title means yet so <laughs> but you can will. ask but ask Dennis Tetlow <laughs> oh, he actually, is the author I'm not I, I'm sorry but I like the title it's a cool sounding title but like it, one it's long and it's hard to say well, since it's like amen uh, to but. me, and I, 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 I always thought this when I heard the title because I, I do like it. It sounds very mysterious, but you, I want to see. I want him to answer it this way. What does it mean? We'll say it. Sense the sleight of hand, man. What do you notice now? My wallet's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, all right. So we don't have a Tom does not have a letter this time, but uh, we will have uh, shout outs and anecdotes. We chose well. One uh, last final thing, oh, yeah. if I can get it out. If you want to run this game, definitely, definitely run this game. If you want to play this game. Don't read that book. That's where the madness is hidden. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back.
shout outs we we have them uh first off i would like to mention a novel i just finished called horror store uh which uh caleb is going to be borrowing and reading uh it's uh i don't know if we'll have time to read it's like most things i borrow i will put them somewhere (laughs) (laughs) and eventually i'll hopefully get it back at some point uh but it's basically about a haunted Ikea store uh, and if they, they, they don't call it Ikea they call it Orsk and they specifically mention that it's an Ikea a competitor but the, these employees there they've noticed there's vandalism going on after hours and stuff like that so the shift manager gets a couple of employees and say we're going to st- stay, uh, stay the night and we're going to find out who's vandalizing the store and then of course bad things happen and uh, it's a quick read it's really entertaining it's really well designed it's done in like kind of a Design Five Nights account. at Ikea. What, just the one, and that that's <laughs> enough. It's pretty. It, it, it gets pretty cre- creepy pretty quickly. Uh, and I liked it. In the meatballs. Uh, aside from being a really good read, uh, it's it's basically the architectural horror of ruin, the kind of thing that I want to go for, and the economic horror of red markets, because they specifically point that like. I don't want to do this, but I really need this job. And, like, I my, I owe my roommates $200. I will be homeless if I don't stay the night in this haunted-ass store. Uh, and they I, I really fear the unknown. Like, I fear homelessness more. Yeah, no, that's literally the subtext of it, is the economic exploitation of these part-time retail workers. Uh, and, it gets, and there's more to it, but I don't want to spoil the uh, supernatural element of it. Well, because uh, to me, and I, I, hopefully I'm not spoiling anything of this inadvertently, but... You haven't it, read it, so I don't know. Well, and that's what I'm saying inadvertently, because I haven't read it, but it almost sounds like the people who own the Ikea knockoff are doing some sort of cabin in the woods thing where... Nope. They're just, okay. Because nope. it would be more interesting to me if they're feeding these unwilling employees to it nope. just to keep some horrible elder nope, god nope, asleep. Nope, nope. It's something different. Okay. Uh, it's really cool, actually. Okay. Uh, I might have to steal that from you. Uh, you well, you and Caleb can to argue which one can Duel be Duel with knives. Uh, okay. Go. It's on sale on Amazon right now for like 10 bucks. For, and I would recommend actually getting a print version because it's really well designed. They have like, every chapter has a little image like an image from the, the Orsk catalog. Like, here is the front of her, you know, a desk, you know. <laughs> I want uh, that desk just for the name. Yeah, I, I, I'm making that well, up. I actually don't know. There's a lot of nuance involved. I don't know. All right. So anyway, sweet fans, please don't kill us because um, of our Muppet life. David, you already mentioned yours, the Cats of Ulthar, uh oh, audiobook yes. on um, Spotify. I finally, finally broke down, and I um, <laughs> it was just, no. I've heard too much about this. Splendid just pushed it one notch over. So one day I, while sitting and auditing a number of uh, cases at work. And to drown out the people behind me who don't seem to understand that a helicopter is the one that has the egg beaters on top, a plane is the one that has the two wings on either side, learn the freaking difference. So to keep myself from going off on them for that, I said, all right, I'm going to put in some nice little horror. And I found on Spotify, um, very first one on the search, by the way, uh, there is a reading of the Cats of Ulthar that is really, really compelling. By Ice-T? No. <laughs> if I could find I want it. no part of it then. <laughs> if it was iced tea, I would be all over that shit. But um, I don't even know the lady who read it, but I know that she was British, but not too British. So it was just tea, not iced tea. So she was just the right amount of British for you. It was Earl Grey. Exactly yeah. enough British. Lady Grey. Lady Darjeeling. Uh, very good. Uh, I'll add in the readings by the H.P. Lovecraft radio. What did they do? The... 
The historical society, or the, uh, but they're doing the readings of the Detweiler stories from Tales of Fairly Oh, Man, right, yeah, yeah, and those are really well done. Like, yeah, they're on the Unspeakable podcast. I'll just read them. Yeah, I've read those stories, but uh, those are really. I need to read well, that. That's on my to read. Those are really well done readings as well. Like, so yeah, another shout out. High to production values. And things of that yeah, so David, you should load that on your phone or gadget. They are totes. Oh, just the desktop. <laughs> yeah, Detweiler. Uh, <laughs> he likes some dark stuff. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, dark but good. Dark but good. Uh, and speaking of podcasts, Aaron, you were talking about one? Uh, yeah, I actually uh, ended up discovering another one, which is years old now, uh, called The Thrilling Adventure Hour. Uh, it is a, another podcast that does radio plays a la, like, Welcome to Night Vale, and speaking of which, they just did yeah, another crossover. crossover at, uh, oh, they've done two crossovers? Yeah, they've done two crossovers uh, so Ooh. far, but this is the first one they've actually recorded from, last, uh, from the last time they were at Comic-Con mm. together. Uh, which it's still on iTunes right now for a dollar ninety nine. A pittance for li- literally almost two hours of really hilarious uh, radio plays, and it's a crossover. Welcome to Night Vale, so they have everybody you love there. Uh, but they do different other uh, uh, stories more into the traditional radio plays, like you would have uh, heard uh, heard in the twenties and Orson Welles days, and that uh, the characters that they did for this one, which I love, Sparks Nevada Marshall on Mars. It is. Nice. It literally kind of conveys all of those weird West stories that you would have read. Yeah, and Jonah Hex and all uh, for years and years and then it was and, absolute, I, and those are free. Yeah, it was those are yeah, those are free to download like Night Vale as well. And uh, if you do listen to the Spark of Nevada one, if you've re- you'll recognize the voice uh, the guy who does the voice for him is the same guy who does the voice of I cannot remember the rich person on Night Vale who may or may not be an angel now. So Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That happened in the debate. But absolutely hilarious, and they have a ton of other guest stars just like Welcome to Night Vale. So completely worth your time. Cool. Um, and then, Caleb, you've been playing it. It's sort of smaller indie hit, that is. Yeah. Uh, uh, All right. Everyone knows about Destiny, but yeah. I'm playing it. And the reason I bring it up is that I've never played an MMO before. Yeah. And I did not intend to play an MMO, but I am now played playing an MMO. MMO. And I've never played Welcome, brother. I've never played a game so much that I hate so much. (laughs) (laughs) The story is nonsensical. Everything is named like a bad high school band. That's an MMO. Uh, It is just completely stupid. You're trying to get me into it. And I'm trying to get you in it because it's it's your type of game. Like you like it's nothing but like mindless grinding that doesn't need to be there. Like uh, (laughs) running around maps just to pick up like. Uh, rocks or like specific types of bushes that you need to upgrade guns, which doesn't make any sense at all. It's just clearly I don't understand the importance of a hardwood stock. And you have a bored Peter Dinklage. Its idea of difficulty is throw more things at you to the just point of absurdity where it's like three people versus all the orcs and helms deep. Oh, and, oh, and how many times have you had to experience Peter Dinklage going, oh, this will take me a minute to hack. Oh. Protect me protect me while I hack this door. <laughs> Even though I'm an intangible floating ball <laughs> that can disappear. I have watched a Let's Play of uh, the Let's Play guys from Rooster Teeth uh, doing a raid. Uh, I forgot the one, but it's it looked pretty cool, actually, the raid. I'm not even at raid levels yeah. yet. But I'm just grinding so hard for gear, and I, I hate it, and it doesn't give me drops, and I do something all week, and I just cuss at it, and then it gives me, like, new boots, and I squeal like a girl, and I play for 
20 more hours. But it's free. Like, once you buy it, terrible. it right? Like, what? Okay. It's, you, there's no monthly fee for it. Right? There is no monthly fee, which is the, the one saving but, grace. But you have right. to pay for the upper levels eventually, though, don't you? Because no. No. for the DLC, a, the DLC, oh, the DLC you get to the later They don't levels. explain uh, If you get the Destiny pack for the PS4, which oh. and they is don't, only they, 50 bucks more, and I do it know comes they, with yeah. two DLC packs already built in. Okay. They don't explain They don't explain anything. There's constantly, I know you have many questions. But I will not answer them. No, the gameplay is good. Like it, it's good shoot man game, but like that's it. Everything else is just garbage. Terrible garbage. It's cliche, pretty garbage though. But I'm. It's the most exquisite skitter box ever. <laughs> like because everything you do is like the mindless chivo grinding actually yeah. adds towards XP and can help you get new stuff. So. Ross, when you run around a map trying to beat a bunch of cops to death with a money roll and payday, not only that one, not only can you, not only can you show off that yeah. you did that, you get like five XP, which is meaningless. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's I've got one hundred eighty four out of two hundred twelve or two hundred twenty five achievements. For Destiny is the game for you. <laughs> I know. I just need to get a PS four, so, which I need. Did to you manage to get to the loot case before it was taken about out? Or? These boots. Yeah. Now, do these boots match the other clothes that you have in your ensemble? Oh, color coordinated. Oh, yes. There are shaders, which you have to grind for and buy to change the color of your clothing so it all matches. So see, I can oh, shoot that bullshit oh. stuff in Payday too, and I don't feel bad oh. about it because it's bullshit. Okay. I don't care. I want to shoot cops and look pretty. Uh, I have, <laughs> so I have to tell you one on that one. Yeah. Because that just reminded me of a World of Warcraft thing. If you have any idea just how many war bears I killed for the fur equivalent of a handkerchief, because when they finally put in the oh, and by the way, you can change your clothes to look like other clothes, I went. Damn it! I want this freaking one cloth with the stripper bands for my sexy belt. Actually, yeah, I'm gonna just bring this up just because it needs to be said. If we're gonna bring up the MMO things, David went out of his way to literally create the gayest <laughs> character on Warcraft. His name is Guy Like. <coughs> You're welcome, well, David. I just want to say that I I hate it and I hate myself for playing it, but I don't have enough people to do raids yet. So get on the forums, all right, and please play with me <laughs> and enable my new addiction. As soon as I can afford a PS4, can it actually I'll link? It is true addiction because I'm probably going to okay. go home and play at least one raid tonight, but. Yeah. I'm going to hate myself for doing it. Uh, <laughs> Are they on the so same fi- <laughs> well, well, we can talk about that. Uh, finally, there's one last shout-out. Uh, going back to the Lovecraft theme of this episode, uh, there's a Tumblr slash webcomic I've been following called Underwhelming Lovecraft, and it is a talented artist who's been taking adapting Lovecraft stories to be underwhelming. Uh, so... Like one of the first ones he does is one of Lovecraft. One of the first comics he does, and he does this in like one page of like six panels or something like six or nine panels, um, and it's the the tomb or the story where the guy one character is going down in the tomb and the other guy is listening to him through like a wire the phone. Uh, through the phone. Oh, yeah. Harlan and yeah, yeah. So <laughs> he does it and is like, "Why are you doing this? Oh, I'll be fine." And then the last panel. Hello, he's uh, my friend down there. Oh no, we're monsters. We ate him. (laughs) (laughs) Underwhelming. (laughs) And so they did like a five-page version of uh, Herbert West Reanimator, and literally one panel is like, "Isn't war great?" 
there's lots of dead guys here. <laughs> and then the sh- then the experiment blows up. He's like, well, that that's probably for the best that that, should, that uh, morgue blew up where I had all those dead guys in it. Uh, <laughs> when Herbert wasn't being torn apart, well, this was a this I should have seen this coming. <laughs> so underwhelming, but wow, highly entertaining. Uh, so just Google it's on it's on Tumblr. Underwhelming Lovecraft. It's very entertaining. So finally, um, we have anecdotes. Uh, first off, we have been playing Fifth Ed Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Satan's game. Um, Are we really? We're still going there? Yes, of course. Uh, okay. Why not? Panic is uh, omnipresent and forever. Uh, we have always been at war with... Thank you, Seven. Uh, so, uh, Bill ran a Halloween-themed game of Fifth Ed that we will finish up this uh, a couple of days from now, uh, so it's not quite done. Uh, it's basically Adventurers in Innsmouth uh, is the theme, so we killed fish people. Uh, but there were six of us, and uh, including uh, me, Aaron, Tom, and then uh, Sean, Ann, and Melissa, and then Bill's running. And so... Uh, I liked the game. It was entertaining. It was not particularly scary despite Bill's attempt because there were six of us and we were all kind of goofy that night. Again, it's hard doing... When trick-or-treaters were showing up. Trick-or-treaters were showing up. Um, with six oh, play- man. Badass Spider-Man. Badass Spider-Man. What game was that in? I can't remember what the, the actual game oh, was. Oh, damn. I don't care, but he was awesome. It was a girl. It was a little girl. Yeah. I don't even care. Yeah. Spider-Man. And sorry, for this little anecdote, too, since we're going to yeah. talk about the trick-or-treaters coming up, I'm going to be pissed off because Ross and I decided we would trade off duty since Bill was... No, I more or less just went up. It's like, oh, I'm gonna get give him candy. Yeah, and there's a fighter. We were fighting for. Yeah, you got the mini Star Lord. Who did I get? The two teenagers who didn't bother to dress up at all. And he said, "Hey, give me candy. Here's a couple pieces. Can I get more? Fuck you." <laughs> Aaron, arbiter of Halloween etiquette. Uh, <laughs> you shall not receive what sugary comestibles. I don't care what age you are. You dress up. If yeah, you're no, dressed up, I'm, you get candy. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I was played a cleric uh, for this game. Uh, and it was a set in the Greyhawk. I can't remember the name of the Storm God for. Uh, chose the Tempest Domain because uh, Bill leaked it. It was like sort of hinted that there was going to be something. And this was, hey, Tempest Domain. That's probably storms <laughs> and shit. That's probably useful for an aquatic hey. game game. It's like, uh, hey. Storms are awesome. Yeah, storms are awesome because uh, it was a dark and stormy storm night. <laughs> but the thing is, I didn't remember the na- name of the storm god for Greyhawk, so I just like storm god is great. And that, <laughs> that was how I literally did it. It's like I my storm god storm god would not approve of this. <laughs> Have you converted? Praise <laughs> storm god. <laughs> <laughs> like Aaron would not convert to storm god, so I was tempted not well, to. Which is why I find it hilarious that my. Uh, 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 Halfling sorcerer character yeah. finally shot a bolt of lightning in here. It's like, oh, storm god. <laughs> so uh, that was my little anecdote for that. Uh, but David, you're like some religious people. You did not do the required reading. No, I, my, my intelligence was <laughs> and my character did what everyone else was doing. I failed all my religion skill checks, and except I made an after twenty at one. But my character's dump stat was intelligence, so I figured he was. Uh, Those books are really long, dude. Yeah, and yeah. they have lots of big words. Storm so. God's Seminary School was really a party school. <laughs> Although I do have something, and I, I will say there's a hope that this will happen because uh, uh, since it's all the fifth ed rules, I my sor- halfling sorcerer has the wild uh, magic talent or, or oh, yeah. wild magic one, which means that uh, Bill can roll dice as the GM, and every once in a while I'll, I have to roll to see what random effect I have. 
if there is one where a, a unicorn is summoned and comes under control, if this happens... No, it doesn't come under your control. It's just there. No, no, it's under your control for one one round. I, and then I it's this. there. I like it. Uh, no, and then I, it's there. Yeah, then it's, but then it disappears. That means for one round, if we get this, sparkles is coming. If I was running GM, I would ignore that. I'd say, it's just there. It's not under control. Be nice to the unicorn. And of course, it's going to be sparkles. <laughs> sparkles is the only unicorn, as far as I'm concerned, for role-playing purposes. There are no other unicorns. Wait, so there's not. So I've hit gold already. Why would I bother? So there's no effect like you fart at two hundred at one hundred and fifty decibels. There is something about yelling or being really loud or something like that. Uh, I, I did like that. If there's you another roll, one where you turn into a potted plant. Yeah, for, if you roll forty two, you turn into a potted plant. <laughs> so that's the answer. So oh, for that, not again. fantasy, uh, high high adventure and fantasy. High adventure. Uh, Tom, any impressions of the game? You. <sighs> Kind of, uh, I can't remember what your character was. I was a druid. Oh, yeah, you, of <laughs> course, you were a druid. And you turned Wait into a animals. Minute. I'm Tom? a druid. <laughs> druid shapeshift. Tom, I'm, I'm, I'm a druid. You played a druid? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a druid. Scooping that fruit up off the ground. Don't can't get no lower. <laughs> Uh, what part of country are you from, boy? <laughs> um, but finally, David, you were running the game too, uh, Pathfinder. Yeah. I um, I actually decided to step behind the screen for a change, <gasps> and um, I've been introducing a couple of uh, friends and coworkers uh, to role playing in general, and I picked Pathfinder because I've got a lot of the books, and I figured it's nice and easy. It's D and D three point five with a lot of the for certain versions of the word easy. Uh, sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, certain versions. But um, I kind of shot myself in the foot a little bit because I kept thinking that I'm going to run into the problem of scheduling where people aren't going to be able to make it to the game. Yeah. And it's well, I'm having a lot of fun. Can I invite my friend along? Uh, my wife would really like to play. Can I bring the girlfriend? So. I've got eight players at Jesus. the table. And Too many things all... as a rules like system. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that in a straight face, can you? <laughs> and I keep thinking that I'm going to run into a session where somebody's going to have to work, somebody's not going to be able to make it. But by and large, I've had quite a few where all eight yeah, show they up. They love them. They're, they're motor, motor, murder hoboing. So they do. And I keep using the gamer math, the nice little equation that says the difficulty for this party should be this. So go for an encounter that is CR this. And they face roll it. Um, even when I have two players going into one, I mean, there was an encounter with a hag where they killed her in the surprise round. And they weren't even supposed to be able to make their saving throws. But now 20 is at just the right time, and holy shit. So this past week... I decided, all right, I'm just going to take that equation and I am just going to throw it out. We're throwing this away. Party is level seven. So I had a mini dungeon that consisted of um, a pagoda with a monk on each level and an elemental-based set of traps. And I gave them the choice on each floor. You can fight the monk or fight the room. So the first floor, they went up against the monk thinking that he was going to be a nice, easy thing, but level 16 monk actually kind of kicked ass. Yeah. I mean, they eventually took him down because there's eight of him uh, versus one of him, but it took most of their high-end heal spells. So after that, it didn't matter what the floor was. I mean, on the earth floor, there's massive, massive boulders on either side of them, and they looked and they went, uh, yeah, those big honking rocks... 
scare us less than that quiet guy that's just standing there. <laughs> and when they, I mean, literally every other one, it's a, drowning, we could possibly drown? Well, drowning seems better than facing that tiny, tiny little girl in the ornate You're just dress. making the monks smaller with each room. <laughs> <laughs> it's like evolution. That mouse looks vaguely religious. <laughs> Stay away. He's got a tiny belt on. It's black. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, have you heard the good? Have you heard the good word? <laughs> no, I'm out, man. Game over. Have you come to see the enlightenment? Don't kill me. I like that. No, were they smaller in each room, or is that just coincidence? Well, did you intend for that, or is that actually um, the one on the first floor was at normal size? The guy on the second floor was freaking huge. Um, yeah. I had given him the vow of silence, so oh, he, the game of death. Yeah. Oh, so he's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is <laughs> up, up. Yeah, yeah. not on the oh, ground floor. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, on the second floor, when they walked in, um, the monk had taken a vow of silence, so he just holds up a sign that says, I am Pow, the Iron Mountain. And they just kind of went, a name like Pow. Okay, no. He's got to live up to that name in some way. Don't fight the monk. Just boulders. Boulders seem nicer. <laughs> uh, let's see. And then for the top floor, the air floor, I... Um, it was a 30-foot drop mm-hmm. uh, with bamboo poles all the way around the room with little iron discs on them. And there was just the one monk standing in the middle of the room balancing on the pole. And they kind of went, uh, this guy seems scary because he's, he's there. He's doing more monkish things. <laughs> all he's doing is... He's shouting the shit out of that. Wait, 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 is his job just to stand there on that thing all day? Do, like, does he clock in, like, passing the other monks, like... Hey guys, Martin. It's like the sheep dog and the wolf. Yeah, punch in, punch out. You got to hit a fire this week. Yep. What if they're, they're, that's all they can do? They just they and they just max out their bluff skill. Like, yes, I am an epic level badass. You cannot possibly fight me. Uh, oh, look at him! He's standing on a pole. Yeah, no, clearly. But that's his only skill, though. Maybe. I mean, I can turn invisible, fly in mid atmosphere, and drop fireballs and waste a small sized city with that. But like that guy scares the shit out of me. Well, I mean, literally, that's what it was. I mean, it's. That is a tiny little girl in an ornate dress sitting in the middle of a room. I will flood the room and you will possibly drown unless you can find the key. Yeah, water scares me less than she does. So they literally had the same reasoning as Will Smith and Men in Black. Like, why did you shoot the little girl instead of all the giant scary monsters? She's carrying quantum physics textbook at 3 a.m. In this case, it was, did you see the size of her sleeves? She's got those huge kung fu theater sleeves. She's going to do things to us. Oh, she's probably got a backstory. Oh, God, run away. It's like, like, hey, was this a guy sitting on a platform? What's the big deal? That guy standing on a platform. I like that. Mur- the, 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 that's the murder hobo kryptonite. A normal person in a seemingly dangerous situation. <laughs> <laughs> he's so badass, he's ascended. He's transcended the murder he's hobo. He's Luthor times ten. He has no giant sword, sword or oversized shoulder pads. Or even spiky hair. He's beyond our means. We cannot possibly find him. <laughs> he's John Wick. <laughs> No, no. No, John Wick is totally a murder hobo. Like, he has tattoos. He has a cool muscle car. He's like, oh, yeah, no, we know that guy. And killing his dog sets him off. If he had an ugly station wagon and had a punch and was still, like, everyone was afraid of him, yeah, you were on on your ass away. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. No, this is the greatest... (laughs) 
we can derail anecdotes if we want to. I just really, really love the fact that my players. It's, all right, now would you like to fight the second monk? I can give you some description. No, <laughs> room. <laughs> just monk <Alders>. phobia. <laughs> uh, all right, that's a good anecdote. Uh, so this ends epi- RPBR episode 107. Since the slide of hand man, Bill's more. I'm Ross Payton. Dumb Church and Aaron. I'm David Dobelman, and I love you for listening. Aww. Aww. Uh, It's not real. Well, the rest of us are like, yeah. But anyway, see you guys next time. I'm ambivalent. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.